Hello there, I'm Julie Vadnall, Deputy Editor of Domino, and this is Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. If you've listened to this podcast before, you already know that we've interviewed some of the biggest names in interior design. But this season, I'm doing things a little differently. I'm going to be talking to rebels, the -the out-of-the-box thinkers who put their creative stamps on our world, whether they work in design, fashion, or even food. After all, you don't have to paint a room all black to be a rebel. So I think that'd be super cool. Some of us engage in tiny acts of resistance every day, and that counts too. Each week, I'll talk to a new guest, a rebellious one, if you will, about how they turn off the doubting voices in their head and how you can find your only you style. Let's do this. Today's guest is a textile designer in Brooklyn, New York. And if you're a design lover or literally just a person in the world, you have surely seen her bold geometric work hanging maybe from a towel rack or on someone's bed. At Domino, we photographed her quilted bedding set so many times, more times than I can count, because literally every cool girl has it. Last year, the New York Times Tea Magazine named her one of the 12 talents shaping the design world. And her sample sales, I'm not kidding, draw lines around the block. People wait for hours to get in. She's collaborated with some of the biggest names in design. And for all of those reasons, I'm thrilled to introduce Ellen Van Dusen to Design Time, The Rebellious Ones. To kick it off, I just need you to complete this sentence. Hi, I'm Ellen Van Dusen, and I'm a rebel blank. Hi, I'm Ellen Van Dusen, and I'm a rebel designer. Love it. Is there kind of like a party line you give to people if you meet someone and they don't know what you do or they, for some reason, never heard of Doosan Doosan? Yes. I have a home textiles and clothing line called Doosan Doosan, and my focus is on bold, fun patterns and color. Something I've been asking everyone who's on this podcast is a very simple question because it's called The Rebellious Ones, and I want to know if you consider yourself a rebel. So I've never described myself as such, but because I'm totally self-taught, I do feel like I have sort of a rebellious approach to the design world. I never studied design and my approach this whole time has been figure it out as you go. So I taught myself how to use all the design programs. I taught myself how to sew. When I, I started my line originally as a clothing line in 2010, I figured out the whole production process just by doing. And I think because I've taken this unconventional route, my design aesthetic has sort of evolved alongside my skill set. I was independent as a one-man show for the first five years of my line. So I could only design within my means of what I could figure out how to do. But I think that approach has made my design aesthetic very unique. I just forged my own path. It's so inspiring to hear that because I think we only see the movie montage version. We only see the like fun song playing in the background and then we see the end result. We see like you at Nordstrom or you on the beds of like all the cool girls. And when I say you, I mean your designs, not literally you. (laughs) Um, But I think it's cool to hear that, to know that there is so much work that goes into all of this. You don't just have people lining up for hours overnight. I mean, I still... I'm sort of working all the time though. But when I first started my line, I was hand sewing everything in my apartment. And that was the one of the craziest times in my life. 
I want to go back and kind of start at the beginning and hear a little bit of your origin story. Were you a rebellious kid or were you were there acts of rebellion from your childhood that you can look back on and think, oh, that makes sense for what I do now? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I wasn't like rebellious against my parents. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I wasn't like a bad kid. My parents are architects and they always sort of encouraged like an art centric lifestyle, which which I think played a big role in what I'm doing today. But one thing that this brings up is in high school, I had a really weird thing about pants. Like I refused to wear jeans and would only wear like colored pants. So it was like my goal to have the full spectrum of color. I was like, everyone is wearing jeans. Like why does everyone only wear jeans? There's so many other things out there in the world. And so I made it like my life's passion to like complete this collection of pants. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going to wear the thing that everyone else is wearing. I'm just going to like, I've always been really into color. And so I was like, I'm just going to wear these crazy pants. So that I feel like in itself was sort of like an, an act of rebellion, just not wanting to be like everybody else. Yeah. Did you get feedback on this from the other kids? Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody Everybody loved it, obviously. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thinking back on that time, like music was such a big part of my life. Like in DC, the music scene was so important for teenage life. I had a friend that was like really into punk, you know, the aesthetic, the music, like the lifestyle, the whole thing. And I was always interested in different subcultures and like how people were dressing. So she would take me to these shows with her where like, I would stand in the back as like a colorful fixture in the room. And then she would be in the mosh pit, which is like the sea of black clothing. But I was also accepted into that group, even though aesthetically, like I was so different from everyone else. And I feel like that sort of resonated with me in, I think, being yourself is the, is the most important design aesthetic. You were kind of a rebel among rebels. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I love imagining that picture of just all black and then Ellen in her like fuchsia pants. Yeah, exactly. I did have fuchsia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also love, and you mentioned this, that you didn't go to design school. Do you look back and you're like, thank God? Yeah, I am glad because I do think that that it made me form a very specific aesthetic that no one else has because nobody told me what the design process is and, and the steps you should take. So I think as a function of that, I have this very unique approach, which like really can't be replicated. And it just, it just doesn't follow a formula except the one that I've created. Yeah. I think sometimes with creativity, when you try to teach it, like that can almost get in the way of creativity. Like technique, I guess, is important. But sometimes if you had been taught certain tenets of design, it might have changed the way your work looks now. Totally. Yeah. I've, you know, looked at so many like young designer portfolios and I find that a lot of the time they look really similar. Even just like a certain drawing style, you know, and you see it over and over again, it can be like a little monotonous. Do you feel like that's because of Instagram or the internet? Like, why do you think they all kind of look the same? Well, I think 
I think part of it is you're taught to draw in a certain way when you're in design school. You know, if you're getting like all these portfolios of people who went to the same school, like they're teaching the same methods and the same programs and, and all this stuff. So that's how you're, you think your portfolio should look the way that you've been taught for it to look. So I think like just the, the act of being told how to create something means that you know, all those people who have been told to create it in a certain way probably do so follow like a very certain formula, at least in the beginning. Yeah. But instead, you decided to study visual anthropology, which is something I'm not familiar with, so you're going to have to explain. But you studied art history and neuroscience, which I guess explain why that was what you decided to study and how that relates to what you actually do now. Yeah, I took like an unconventional approach to college. <laughs> um, I did a design your own major program. And the thing that I was the most interested in is color. And there's obviously no major at a liberal arts college called color. <laughs> but I was always really into art growing up. And there was specific kinds of art that I was particularly interested in. Like I just really love seeing these like broad swaths of color. And I wanted to understand why these kinds of images are so successful. I wanted to understand it on like a purely neurological level. Like why, why do we see this big yellow painting and like, I can't take my eyes away. I studied the neuroscience of vision, specifically like how and why we see color and what is the function of color. And how, as we evolved, does it end with me wanting to look at this big yellow painting on a wall for like 15 minutes? That's fascinating. Okay, so then how does that relate to a striped towel? Well, I spend a lot of time kind of thinking about the color wheel and color relationships. I like colors that almost vibrate next to each other, but then toning it down just, just a bit. <laughs> like a red-green combination it's really hard to nail because a lot of the time it does vibrate because like you do want to see that extreme contrast. So I, I like thinking about that level of contrast and then just like taking it down a little bit. So it's like a little more palatable. Have you had some failed color combos that you're like, oh, I really want to do this. And then you're like, whoa, that will not sell or, oh, that just hurts my eyes. Oh yeah, definitely. When I design my towel collections, I like to use a pretty strict palette. So, you know, in like a, in a four towel collection, I like to use six colors. So I'm reusing colors in different combinations. And sometimes like a blue that looks really nice with a yellow that I'm using looks really bad with a red. Uh -huh. So you have to kind of like tailor the juxtaposition of the colors to make them sort of resonate. When I think of things that are popular right now in the design world, it's like this like beigey coastal grandmother, maybe like I always use the example of like cream boucle. And I feel like there's maybe this idea that like to be taken seriously in the design world or in the world in general, like you have to be a little bit subdued in the way you look. Like people who wear suits in maybe a dark color are taken seriously. Were you trying to rebel against that idea that like you can be taken seriously and still have like these primary colors or fun shapes? Was that a conscious decision that like I want to be taken seriously and still use a lot of color? 
honestly, it wasn't a conscious decision because it's like my only way. <laughs> I could never design like a shades of beige line. It wasn't really a conscious choice because I feel like I, I had no choice. It's just who I am. Did you feel like an outsider when you were doing clothing like that? Like, did it make you feel like you maybe were outside of this industry that is very serious? Yeah. I mean, I was in sort of like capital F fashion. I was in lowercase f <laughs> fashion. But yeah, I knew that I was making something that was different than than what most people were doing. But I also liked that. It seems like you aren't scared of those things. No. I feel like I'm like obsessed with authenticity, probably to a fault. So yeah, I could I could never do anything that didn't feel like it was me. What product was the big breakthrough? Well, I guess if we're talking clothing, it would be a fruit pattern dress that I did in 2013. What made it so popular? It was on the TV show Girls, Lena Dunham wore it on Girls. And that was just like, that was a huge moment for that show. <laughs> and that was a big moment for that, for that line. I sold so many of that dress. And like WarnOnTV.com was like our highest driver of traffic. That was a big moment for us. When I think of the home line, I think of that deuce and deuce and face that I see like on the tissue boxes. It's on your the kitchen timer. And I think it's on the pepper grinder too. Yeah. Where did that face come from? I feel like now when I see that, I know it's you. What was the origin of that face? So I was part of a show of face vessels at... Fredrickson May, who's another Brooklyn designer, they had a little gallery space for a while. So they asked a bunch of designers to make a face vessel. And since I'm a textile person, I was like, how can I make hard goods? In the end, I painted a tissue box with with the face on it. <laughs> and then Ariaware approached me about creating a, a product that they could sell. Why are tissue boxes everywhere right now? I would love to take some credit for that if I can. <laughs> Please do. I think that you should. Literally everyone is making one. And I think it's funny because like when I was growing up in the 90s, it seems kind of like chintzy to have that. But now it's so cool. Yeah, it is funny. I mean, there's always going to be a cool version of something that like is ugly on your countertop. Totally. Well, thank you for your work in the um, tissue box world. I appreciate it. <laughs> We talked about color a little bit, but I want to dive a little bit deeper because I'm someone who loves color. I like to use it in my home. My boyfriend is an artist. He feels the same way. But I also think it's one of the most challenging things to do. So how do you approach it at home? How do you know what colors you're going to use at home and that it's going to turn out okay? I have just collected a bunch of items over the years. And I think because I have this like, very unique aesthetic and proclivities towards certain colors. Somehow it's all worked. Sometimes I'm like, Ooh, I should probably get rid of that yellow chair. It's like looking insane with like my red cabinet, but I have white walls. I think that was an important choice that I made. I think it's fun to have sort of an explosion of color as long as it's like within a restricted palette. I never want the full spectrum in one area. I was going to ask you about your white walls. Is it a particular shade of white? 
It's actually not. I just left it up to my contractor, which is kind of crazy, but I think it's just like the most basic Benjamin Moore white. I think that's your most rebellious move to date. (laughs) (laughs) I think so too, honestly. I think so too. I'm like looking at your work. I'm like, surely she has striped walls, but no, the white is to let everything else kind of sing. Yes. I love art and I, I love big artwork. So I, my walls are fully adorned, but yeah, they're, they're all in white. Okay. Let's say I don't know how to use a color wheel. Can you kind of walk me through, like I'm buying bedding and I want my pillows to be different than my duvet cover. Like you have this towel that's lavender and green. And I'm like, these colors I would have never thought to put together, but they look so amazing. So how did you know that those would work other than just putting them next to each other? Was there something about the color wheel or is there like a trick that you're like, this always goes with this? Well, that in particular, that lavender and green, those colors are almost opposite from each other on the color wheel, but slightly removed. So yeah, that's that's my main trick. It's like almost exact complements and then you shift it over just a little bit and play with the the hue or play with the shade like that that one in particular is like a darker green and a lighter lavender um and i think that helps them to to sit together nicely i love it i know i love color but mm-hmm. i find it very challenging so to know that i can just look at the wheel and move over a little bit <laughs> there you go mind blown yeah easy stuff Is there a color combination that is, you know, socially acceptable, but that you really dislike? Oh, I guess like beige and navy. Mm, Why do you not like that? I'm just very bored by it. I'm just very bored by it. (laughs) You see it a lot, but I don't think it, it gives too much to the world. Yeah. I am wondering, though, if you ever have a day where you're like, Screw it. I am just going to do all neutrals in my home. I did get a white rug for my bedroom. Rebellious again. Exactly. But, you know, I have all this crazy bedding, so I want to let the bedding shine. And you said you don't mood board at all. Like, you don't have a plan when you're designing your space? I don't, really. I'm actually working on renovating a place upstate right now. So for like the bathrooms, for instance, I will render the bathroom completely in Illustrator. I pull it all together and make sure it works. When you were talking about not liking beige and you said navy together, that made me think of preppiness. And then that made me think of stripes, which you are kind of known for your stripes. Stripes can be very nautical and very preppy, but yours don't feel that way at all. So how did you keep it from? Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, how did you keep it from skewing that way? Like, I think not to say you invented the stripe, but you reinvented the stripe, in my opinion. And so how? Like, was that, were you like, I'm going to do this? Was that conscious again? Were you like, the stripe needs a change? (laughs) Stripes are my favorite pattern. All-time favorite. Stripes are the easiest, best, purest way to work with color. And for me... This is where I like to play and put these unconventional colors together. So for me, it's like, it's not about being a stripe. It's about pairing these two colors that you might not necessarily think go together. But when you see them like juxtaposed like that, they do go together. 
I also like pairing like different colorways of stripes together. Like with our stripe towels, we have, you know, one side of the towel is one colorway of stripes and the back side is another color. So thinking about that set of four colors together is also really a fun puzzle and, and challenge. And yeah, just a really a fun way of pairing colors. Well, and people can't see you because this is a podcast, but you're wearing stripes. Oh, yeah. Almost all my clothes are striped. I can't stop. It's like <laughs> you open my drawer. It's all stripes. Does the thickness of the stripe matter? I know I'm getting nitty gritty now. Absolutely. We actually have a towel collection coming out in a couple of weeks where we have different widths of stripes on either side of the towel. You know, if you have a pinstripe where one color is more prominent than the other, I think that makes a huge impact. If you have like really contrasty colors in really narrow stripes, it can vibrate even if the colors aren't contrasting so much. So yeah, yeah, I think it does matter. I was reading somewhere that you liked textiles because it gave your art like a big place to live. Yes. Do you think that stripes in particular have impact when you can see them like very long and for, you know, like a long time or in like a smaller way, like a pillow? I definitely think that it does. I think seeing like a field of stripes is more impactful than like a pillow, even though I think a pillow can have major impact too. But I think of like the king of stripes, Daniel Buren, who's who's a French artist who just puts stripes on everything, but does like installation scale stripes who, you know, I just, I love his work so much. And I think it makes this huge impact with this like very simple design. So yeah, I love seeing stripes big. Yeah. I just, when I think of stripes in you, I think of the bathrobe. Oh yeah. It's iconic. Oh, oh my God. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. I think the bathrobes are, are really fun because the nature of the Terry construction is that you can have a different color on the front and the back of the fabric if it's in like a single vertical stripe. So that's the limitations like of the the fabric itself is where we came up with that idea for the like reversible two stripe colorway style. So cool. I want to talk about some of the brands that you've collaborated with. And I think when you're a rebel and you have a distinct point of view as you do, it can be kind of hard to collaborate. I would imagine no one's ever asked me to collaborate and I don't consider myself a rebel, but I'm just putting myself in your shoes. Do you find the collaboration process to be freeing or do you find it to be difficult? What's it like? Because I mean, I think of your dims chair, which I absolutely love. And it kind of, to me, it says you but it also says dims. So how do you get to that place where you both feel represented? That's a really great question. And I feel like I've learned so much about collaborating over the years because I've, I've done a, a good number of them at this point. The way I approach a collaboration is like, how do I see my aesthetic like expressed through this product? And like, how do I speak to my customers through someone else's design basically? And how is it also going to resonate with their customers. But yeah, I think it's just a really open conversation with the collaborator, seeing like what they want, sort of understanding how to stay true to your aesthetic within their guidelines and having a little fun with it. You know, I love to collaborate. To me, it's really exciting to be able to work on these different kinds of products that aren't part of my wheelhouse. So yeah, I've I've gotten to do a lot of really fun projects because of it. 
you were saying the other day that you designed a birdhouse. Yes. Like, how did that come about? Of course you would. And of course, it would be amazing. But were they like, specifically, you should design a birdhouse? Or were they like something outdoors? Yeah, I'm working on a birdhouse, which has been incredibly fun. It's a project for the Brooklyn Botanical Gardens, where they asked a number of artist designers and architects to make birdhouses to like, live in the park for the summer. So this is like a similar problem that I had when I was working on the tissue box. I was like, I don't make hard goods. So I actually turned it into a collaboration with my dad, who is an architect and also like woodworker. And so we made a birdhouse that's like in the shape of a bird. And I've been painting it over these last couple of weeks. I can't wait. And I also was saying how I'm at the age where a birdhouse seems really exciting to have in my backyard. You probably get asked this a lot, but I really want to know the answer. Is there a collaboration that you're dying to do that you haven't done yet that like a brand that you're just waiting to knock on your door? Yes, I would love to collaborate with Ikea. I just love Ikea. They're just so smart. I just I love what they do. Ellen, that would be major. And I can I know, almost picture it. I know. It's like, it feels so easy. Like, it feels so obvious. But yeah, hopefully, fingers crossed, I would love for them to knock on my door. What would that even look like? Would it be furniture? Would it be textiles? Would it be, you know, a rug? What would it be? I think it would be everything that's not textiles. Since I already make textiles, it would it would be fun to design other products. Ooh, can't wait. I really hope that one comes to be. Was there another one you were going to say? Oh, I would love to design not a car, but like the interior and exterior of a car. I think that would be really fun, you know, to do like a crazy pattern on the inside. And why not have stripes on the inside and outside of a car, you know? Yeah. Why can't a seatbelt be lavender? Exactly. Exactly. It feels like uncharted territory to like do something fun. And yeah, one one day, one day How I cool hope to make that, that happen. Be? It'd be really fun. Or like a deuce and deuce an airplane. Like the oh interiors. my God. Yeah. No, that would be amazing. Like those 60s planes that were so stylish. Yeah. And like cool piping on the seats. Oh man. Okay. That would be incredible. Is there a public space that you think needs a glow up? Like a place that you visit often that you think could be so much prettier than it is? Yes. The New York City subway. I really think needs some attention. I mean, they're doing a lot of like surface level improvements. Like I saw they're doing an installation with this artist, Nick Cave, who I love. It's going to be in the Times Square station. But I think they need a little more than just like superficial improvements. Like I I think there could be a major design and structural overhaul. God, what if you redid the colors for each line? Oh my God, would be amazing. Would be so fun. Oh, wood ride. (laughs) You are collaborating this summer with one of my favorite brands, Yes Way Rosé. I love those women. How is designing a bottle, but how is that different than, say, designing a chair for dims or working with kids? Does the shape of the bottle make a difference? Yeah, it was a fun project because it was so different than, than anything I've really done before. I like the idea of working with like the transparency of the glass and then, you know, thinking about how whatever printed I ended up landing on 
on the outside of the glass would have to resonate with the color of the rosé. It's funny to work with color that's like a liquid, you know? But yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about the way it came out. I, again, would drink. Very excited. One thing I think about a lot as a creative and when I talk to creatives is that it takes a lot of energy. What do you do to recharge so that you can maintain your rebel status? <laughs> <laughs> what do I do to recharge? Well, like I mentioned earlier, I'm renovating a place upstate which has been like a challenge, like basically everything that could go wrong with a house has gone wrong with this house. Like part of it was built with no foundation, just built right on the dirt. (laughs) So as a result, I've been spending a lot of time upstate, but yeah, just kind of getting out of the city and relaxing, I guess, being outside. And I have a backyard here and I just redid it. So it's like a great place to just go out and be outside and be with my birds Nice. What's your next act of rebellion? What is coming up for me? Well, like now that I've done the birdhouse, I'm like, couldn't we make a birdhouse for humans? (laughs) Like what if this structure, which is just like a big wooden rectangle became like an outdoor shower or like some other interesting kind of outdoor structure? Don't have any concrete plans for that, but, but thinking about it. I want to launch into Never Have I Ever. That's kind of how we wrap up each episode. And I will read you the prompt and then you can tell me if you have or haven't done this thing. So the first one is, never have I ever cried while putting together Ikea furniture. (laughs) Love that one. Definitely. Yes, I have. Was it a mom? What was it? I actually, I feel like it's probably happened so many times that uh, I don't even know what it was. You know, respect for trying it yourself and not hiring a task rabbit. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Never have I ever looked up a friend's home price on Zillow. I have not done that, but now that you've planted the seed, maybe I will. Sorry. (laughs) It's addictive. That's funny. Um, never have I ever hung my own wallpaper. I actually have done that. It was really hard. Would you do it again? Absolutely not. No. Okay. Never have I ever bought a neon bar sign. Luckily, I have not. I have not. (gasps) I'm guilty of this one. Oh, no. What what kind? It said cake, cake, cake in pink neon and in cursive. And I think it was from a milk bar because I found it at like a Goodwill. It was at Goodwill. And actually, my boyfriend found it and sent me the picture. And I like Venmoed him immediately because I was like, this is my aesthetic. And then when we moved, he accidentally kicked it and broke it. And I think, you know. It's okay. It all ended up for the best. But I liked it while we had it. I think it was it was fun. That is cute. Okay, last one. Never have I ever decorated a room, quote, for the gram. Oh, I haven't decorated a room in my house for the gram, but I certainly have for my job. (laughs) You know, rearranging stuff to get like the perfect photo. Totally. I mean, do friends ask you all the time to come over and like judge things? Sometimes people will often be like, where do I get a couch? Like, what lighting should I get for my place? Like, do you think this color is the right color for this room? 
Ellen, thank you so much for being here. It was a true delight talking to you. And thank you for sharing all your color knowledge with us and beyond. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was really a joy. When I found out that I was doing this podcast, my one and really only request in the whole process was that Shadi Al-Hindi, the head of IT at our parent company, Recurrent, read the closing credits. And I know that might sound funny, but Shadi has a voice that I swear could sue the 100 crying babies. And I know this because sometimes when my computer's not working, I am that crying baby. And just hearing him talk instantly lowers my blood pressure. You will hear what I mean in just a second. I'm so excited to share Shadi and his beautiful voice with the world. Take it away, Shadi. Hello, I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, and contrary to popular belief, I'm not a voiceover actor, yet at least. But I am the vice president of technology at Recurrent, Domino's parent company. Julie's asked me to read the credits to the podcast you've just heard. I blindly said yes, so I think that makes me a rebel too. And here we are. Design Time, The Rebellious Ones is hosted by Julie Fadnell and produced by Ali Alquiza, with special thanks to Lindsay Mather, Britt Ashcraft, Claire Urshishon, Michaela Klein, Kim Gray, Lindsay DeSimone, and Maria Luna. Our Chief Content Officer is Kate Berry. Our theme music is by the talented Alex Weinstein. And I'm Shadi Al-Hindi, Vice President of Technology at Recurrent Ventures. If you like this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. See you all next week, right here on Design Time, The Rebellious Ones.